Good morning. Good morning. It's a great honor to be here to share the word of God with you. Um, my name is Juwan. You can call me Juwan. That's fine. Um, you're going to put me a title. I'll say, call me Brother Juwan. I know people are like, call me Pastor Juwan. But, uh, but how long do I have? Do I have 30 minutes? Do I have an hour? Can I preach for two hours? I did that at a youth retreat the other day. Great. I had fun. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be that long, Lord willing. But um, let us pray before we go into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God. That it is through the death of your Son that we have this life. And, O oh Christ, we thank you that you accomplished our salvation, that you have given your all, that you poured out your life for the sake of sinners, undeserving, wicked ones like us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are now present in every believer, that you're the seal of our salvation, of his return. They will be with our groom, that we look forward to that day of his return. And you are that seal of our salvation. So we thank you that you are working in us, O triune God, that in you and through you and for you we have been saved for your glory. So Lord, receive your glory in our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Luke is an interesting book because it is one of the longest books in the Bible. But there is certainly, um, the, with the length comes um, many of motifs, many of themes that runs through the book of Luke. And I'm going to have to kind of go through some of that as we get to actual our chapter. So I want us to turn our scriptures to chapter 4. Now... I hope you have your Bibles. I realize you guys use PowerPoints, but um, I'm an old school guy. Um, so, if you go to chapter 4, verse 1, the temptation begins for Jesus Christ. So, after the baptism in chapter 3, and the genealogy in chapter 3, verse 23, and the following, there now, chapter 4, Lord Jesus Christ is led by the Holy Spirit to go to the wilderness. And he's tested of the devil three times. And after the three trials, the, de the devil leaves him, and he says in verse 12, Jesus answered me, you shall not put the Lord your God to your test, verse 13. And when the devil has ended every temptation, he departed from it until an opportune time. So the battle have begun here, but it has not ended. And you will see that devil returns time and time again in a different ways to go against Christ. And that's really the motif here. The war motif, the fight and battle. But there is something more to it than that. Verse 14, he says, And Jesus returned to the power of the Spirit, to the Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught them in your synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus begins his ministry, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he tasted the victory in the wilderness. And now he is sent by the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the good news. And as soon as he's going, he begins his ministry from where his home is. In the Galilee, in the north side. Yeah, in the north side. And he is going to minister there. So chapter 4, chapter four and all the way to chapter 9 is Jesus' ministry in Galilean area. Okay? And that's the number of years of his ministry there. And chapter 9 and all the way to chapter, I think, 19 is Jesus is now traveling down, just a couple of months of journey, from Galilee to Jerusalem. 
I think chapter 9, verse 51, it says he has turned his face toward Jerusalem. And there's a journey he begins as he's going down to Jerusalem. And that couple months of period is give cover by chapter 9 chapters. And in Jerusalem, in chapter 19 and 20 and following all the way to 23, is Jesus being rejected in Jerusalem. So please understand the, the length of this travel. He spent most of his time in Galilee, preaching ministry. And he, and he begins to travel down south, the way that Luke is describing Christ and his ministry, the way he's organizing the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he begins to travel south, and as he's traveling south, he is going to be rejected. So he was rejected in Galilee, he's rejected in his travel down south, and in Jerusalem, he's ultimately rejected by being hung upon the tree. And chapter 24, the last chapter, is the vindication of Lord Jesus Christ, as a final blow to the devil. So I have that big frame understanding of the book of Luke and the way it's flowing here, and it is about a spiritual warfare that Christ is fighting for your behalf. But what kind of battle and what kind of war is he fighting is the important. Importance here. Now, we're going to just look at, I'm going to cherry pick just a couple places to get a little bit of glimpse of what this warfare Christ is facing. If you turn to chapter 5, if you just look at verse 12, are we there? He says, Jesus cleanses a leper. That's the title there. So there, Jesus begins this ministry of cleaning and healing and, and lepers being healed. And chapter verse 17, the paralytic is now healed. And chapter verse 27 says this, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi and sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Verse 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Please notice this. So Levi was called to be a disciple of Lord Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? Who is a Levi? Does everybody know? Levi is a tax collector, a sinner, they would call him. And he was rejected by most of the people. Everybody looked at him and said, ah, that sinner. Why? Because he was working for the Romans, right? He was taking money from his own people to give it to the one that's occupying their nation. It's like Korean, betraying Koreans and taking tax and money to give it to Japanese when, they're when they have the empire over Korea. That's the reality here. So what do people think of Levi? Not just a sinner, betrayer, disgusting, scum, right? And Jesus goes to the scum of the world and says, hey, come follow me. That's what everyone's thinking. What is going on right now? You know what I mean? You know, this cannot be. Not only that, Levi throws a party and he brings all the tax collectors, all the sinners, all the ones that it's just like him. And he says he reclined at their table. What does it mean is this. The way Jewish people used to eat their supper, was they would go to their house, and because they would eat, eat food with their, if you go to Middle Eastern, they still do this. They eat with their hands, right? They eat like hot stuff with their hands. I, like, I was trying to, you know, make a pick up rice, but it burns. You're like, I'm not doing you know, like this. But they're like, and then like, just put it on, just eat it, you know? I don't know how they do it, but it's amazing. But that's what they do. Now, but, but here's the thing. They didn't have chairs. They didn't have tables. That's not how Jews do it. They do it the good old fashioned. 
They lay on the ground as they eat their food. They lay down, they recline, they kind of sit and relax. A meal is not just you go and eat, but you eat and talk for hours and hours and hours. And this is their way of their life. So when Jesus is going into Levi's house, it's not like you know those visitations when you come for an hour and be like, hey, goodbye, I'm gonna go home now. No, it's you stay, linger, talk for hours until the night passes by. And you even stay your night there. So Jesus is come to Levi's house. He's now laying down, reclining, verse 30. Of course, the objection comes. And guess where the objection comes from? Verse 30. Can we look at it together with me? He says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. Of course, it's the Pharisees that are going to grumble. Pharisees are the ones that are true to their religion. They're true to their law. They're true worshipers of God in that sense. They obeyed the law to its tittle. They follow God with all of their clear conscience as best as they can. They're the most religious and prestigious groups of people. They love the Lord. I don't think I can question a Pharisee regarding that. They were meticulous in their lives for the glory of God. And of course, of course when a Pharisee sees a rabbi, a teacher, someone who claims to be from God, and he is now going into a tax collector's house and he's gonna recline in his house and talk and relax and listen and speak and just laugh and have a great time with a sinner what do you think is gonna happen to his what do you think is going on here in Pharisees mind of course he's gonna reject it this is what he says why verse 30 do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners this is a good question, isn't it? I mean, just think about this. Let's say you go and you find the heathen, the biggest heathen you know, that, that man, that guy, that girl that you're thinking right now. You go to his house or her house and you stay there and you eat with him. You eat whatever he eats. You drink whatever he drinks and you do whatever she or he does. Right? You know what I'm talking about? And that's what Jesus is doing. If, if, if I, as a pastor, goes to someone's house like that, or if, if any of your members or leadership going to someone's house that you know is a sinner and shouldn't be associated with that individual, and you see it and you find out, and what's going to happen? I mean, we live in a day that's kind of dangerous, you know? I don't do any social media, praise the Lord, but social media scares the heck out of me these days, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, he's over here, he's over here, and all these things are public, and they, they know everywhere you go, you know? And just imagine that Jesus is going to a place, probably one of the shadiest places that you can think of. And the response is, why are you going there? A good religious and holy righteous man would definitely say that. You know, you shouldn't go there, buddy. That's not right for a righteous and holy godly man should go. And the response of Christ is this, verse 31. And Jesus answered them, those who are well, have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The battle that Christ is fighting and the, and the enemy that the devil is putting before the Lord Jesus Christ, you think will be sinners. You think there will be 
prostitutes, you know, to make all the pastors crumble. You know what I mean? They always tell us, hey, do not go to a room with a woman alone. You know, that's what they always say. You know, because it's dangerous. You might fall into sin. No, no, no. Apparently, for here, who is the truly the one that's the enemy of Christ? I want you to think about that. Is it the sinning man or is it a righteous man? Now, this struggle against the Pharisee is gonna only going to get stronger. Chapter 6, if you continue on, verse 1, if you look at it, it says, Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath in ESV. And there is a battle because of a Sabbath day. Verse 1, on a Sabbath, while he, talking about Jesus, was going through the grain field, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? There it is. What's going on? Jesus is a righteous man from God. What should he do? Obey the commandment of God. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. And here Jesus is walking through the field. His disciples are coming in. They're plucking, plucking, plucking. They're eating like a poor people do, right? He was, this is normal routine. They don't have enough food to eat, so they take a grain and just pluck it out. They eat it, and hopefully it will get bigger in their stomach as you know, it soaks in. And, and that's what they're doing on a Sabbath day. And what's the Pharisee is going to say? Why are you disobeying the law of God like any righteous man would? See the battle going on here? Continuing on in verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man there whose right hand was withered. And scribes and the Pharisees watched him. Who are they watching? I think they were watching. Not the man with the withered hand. They're watching Jesus Christ. And he says, to see whether he, Jesus Christ, would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Verse 8, when he, when he, but he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood here. Verse 8 says, in the beginning, he says, but he knew their thoughts. What do you think is a battle? We're going to have to have this perspective here. The battle that Christ is fighting, the, the, the things that devil is throwing against Jesus Christ, what is it? Is it a temptation of a lust? Is it a temptation of material things? Is it a temptation of pride and arrogance? No. It is like what? It is a religious order. It is to be righteous before God. Are you going to obey God or not is the question they're going to keep on throwing at him. It's a profound statement because the one that devil has sent before Jesus He's not someone to allure him into sin. You know, blameless wickedness. But it's the righteous Pharisees. And the battle here is going to just ramp up. And I, and I want to, you to have a positive view of Pharisees. I really do. When you're reading this text, I want you to think that these are genuine people who really, really believe that this is how you are to honor God. These are genuine people who really want to honor the Lord. They've given their life and given their, all of their existence to the perfection of the law. Because I, I give much respect to that. I cannot do that. I struggle even to just, you know, do things right. You know, the other day I, was, I saw my mom and I was doing her taxes. Oof, taxes suck. You know, and I was doing it for her, and then she's like, "You go, you go, you go," and I was like, "Leave me alone, mom. Let me just finish this. I gotta click this. Yes, please." And I was like, "Oh man, I'm a sinner. I raised my voice against my mother." 
Pharisee would not have done that. Pharisee kept their law perfectly. You see? But who is Jesus struggling against? It's going to be Pharisees over and over and over. Right? We need to have this understanding here. Okay? Now let's go to the text for the day. Verse 26 of chapter 7. I'm sorry, that's a little long. But chapter 7, verse 26. Now he says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. Now, Jesus went to Levi's house. He ate there. He reclined there. Now here a Pharisee invites Jesus to his house. And Jesus went into Pharisee's house and reclined at the same table. It's, 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 it's really side-by-side -side picture, isn't it? That Jesus reclined at a sinner's house. And now here Jesus is reclining at Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's account is longer than the sinner's account. But over here, look at what is happening. As he's reclining, and I want you to imagine this. I want us to kind of visualize this for me, because this is really a narrative. It's a story, and it's a moving story, in my own opinion. And Jesus is laying down, right? I want to lay down. Oof. Oh, he lays down. Can you see? He lays down like this, and he's eating. That's how normally they do. You know, they're like eating food. You know, they're like talking. And Simon, the name has not come up yet, is probably declined, reclined this way, facing each other. You know? And they're eating together. Like, oh, Jesus is cracking jokes. And si Simon's probably laughing. You don't think Jesus cracked jokes? I think Jesus would be really funny, you know? <laughs> Funniest man I know, right? And they're talking, enjoying, and spending time together. They're reclined. And they're relaxed. And all of the people in the room are all men. Of religious men. Not like the sinners. All Pharisees. All listening to Jesus every word. And they're wanting to learn. They want to know. They want to be close to Lord Jesus Christ. They're all sitting there. Laying there. They're all eating. Rejoicing in one sense. Because a teacher has come. It's a great honor for Pharisee. To have a rabbi entering into his house. He's bringing the, his best dishes. He's bringing all the best thing he can. And all the women are out there preparing this food. And they're all out there. And then comes a woman who enters into the room. Can you imagine that? All the leaders of the society, all the wealthy, all the rich, all the righteous, all the church goers, the ones that are elders and deacons at church, they're all sitting in this room right now. You know? And then enters verse 37, and behold, a woman of the city. See how Luke is orchestrating this? And here this woman enters Verse 37, continue, who was a sinner? What do you think happened? Now, she's a sinner of the city. Everybody in the city knows who this woman is. I don't know who she is, what she's done, but we know that she is a sinner. And soon as she walked in, guess what happened to the room? What do you think happened? Everyone probably, most likely, gotten silent. All the laughter has ended, candlelight flickering, and here's a woman sitting on the other side of the room, and here Jesus reclined at the head of the, head of the house, and she sees the Lord Jesus Christ, because she came, because she heard that Jesus is in this house. Verse 37, continuing on, when she learned that he was reclining at the table of Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. 
Understand the drama here. And she walks in, it says. She walks him toward his feet. Just imagine this. She's walking in. And everybody's watching and saying, what are they look- who are they looking at, you think, at this point? They're looking at Jesus. What is Jesus going to say? They're all thinking in their mind. And that's what the Pharisee was thinking, right? What are they all thinking? Why is she here? She doesn't belong here. And they're all now thinking, they're looking at Jesus and thinking, what is Jesus going to do? She's coming to his feet, a man's feet, a rabbi's feet, a godly man's feet, and here is a wicked sinner of the city, the most scum of this whole city, comes in here, and she begins to touch his feet. She begins to weep at his feet. She begins to cry, and she wipes his feet with her hair. And guess what everyone is thinking in their mind? Disgusting. Disgusting. They're all thinking. If she, let me put it this way, if she really is a prostitute, as most commentators would consider her as, you know what kind of life prostitutes lived and still live today? They meet men 10, 20 times, 30, up to 50 times a day, seven days a week. You think they're the beautiful people? No. You know why they have perfumes? To cover the stench from their bodies. Prostitutes in these days are most abused and most hated and most mocked people of their generation. The really, the ones that never, no man will go near, no righteous man will go near. They're not treated well. Their face is probably broken. Their teeth are probably missing. Their health is not taken well. They don't have good hygiene. They're the most ill-treated people of the earth. And every man in that room is thinking the same thing. Disgusting. The most natural response should have been Jesus should have taken his leg off and says, Woman, leave now, you filthy thing. But you know what Jesus does? I want you to look at what Jesus does here. Please, look at this. Verse 40. Well, let's start 39. It says this, 39. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him. I find it fascinating that Luke says Jesus answered him. He didn't ask a question with his lips, but his heart was thinking about this. And Jesus answers his heart. And this is what Jesus said to him. Simon, I have something to say to you. I don't know anywhere in the scripture that Jesus says this by name. Simon, I have something to tell you. I don't know anywhere else in the scripture that this kind of language from the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to listen now. You need to hear this now, Jesus is saying. Because it is of great importance. And now he says a parable. Verse 41. And a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's a simple parable, simple story. 
Look, let me put it into more art terms. Let's say there is a man who owed $50, and let's say there is a man who owed $50,000, and you forgave his debt. Who would be more thankful? Who would love him more? Very simple, right? 50 bucks, psh, you know? Five, 50,000, oh my gosh, that's my tuition, you know? Verse 43, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Which makes sense, right? The one that's been forgiven $50,000, I'll be so thankful. I'll be like, thank you. I'll come and preach every time. You know what I mean? 50 bucks, I'm like, Psh, you know, I can work and pay you back, you know. Makes sense to us, doesn't it? And look at the way now Jesus responds. Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. I want you to really imagine this. Okay? Again, Jesus is reclined here. Simon is on his right, and woman is on his left. He is, she's still whipping. She's still crying. And while she's wiping his feet, he asks, tell Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you, buddy. I have something to say to you. And Simon says, speak, teacher. And he says, look, there was, there was two men, one who owed $50,000, one who owed $50. If, I gave, if somebody forgives him, who's going to love me more? Simon says, the one, I suppose, the one that was forgiven more. And Jesus still reclined, I'm imagining. And he says, she, he, sorry, Jesus turned toward who? The woman. I want you to imagine this. Jesus is now looking at Simon. She, he turns to this woman who's weeping, crying, but listening and he, guess who does he speak to now? Who is he speaking to? No. He's speaking to Simon. He says, Simon, I want you to listen to me from over there, okay? You listen. I entered your house. You did not give me any kisses. You did not wash, give me water to wash my feet. But this woman, as soon as she came in, she washed my feet with her tears. She has never ceased to stop kissing my feet. Look, Simon, do you see this woman? And Jesus is not even glancing at Simon. You see the drama of this? And then, verse 47, he, he says to Simon, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he speaks to her and says, Your sins are forgiven. Who is Jesus talking to? To whom is Jesus speaking this to? Why did Luke record this? My brothers and sisters, I believe that you guys are great Christians. I believe that you are here on Sundays. It is a question we must ask. Are you a Pharisee? 
Or are you this nameless woman? And the good news, please understand this. The good news of the gospel is this. That the Pharisee and this wicked and sinner is identical before the sight of God, isn't it? The one that is wicked in, his, in her sin and wickedness, here's a man who's wicked in his righteousness. They all stand before the righteous king of the Lord of lords. And they all stand before him and both stand sinful and wicked without hope apart from God and his grace, love, and mercy. Please understand, though Christ is looking at this woman as she is listening, he is telling Simon, Simon, you need to hear this. Though her sins are many, she loves much. It is not that she has been forgiven more, but she has a recollection and understanding of her sin more than Simon, the righteous Pharisee. And it is Christ who looks at both men, both, both man and a woman here, both a sinner and a righteous man here, and he declares both in need of this kind of forgiveness. As radical as it is for us to really think and consider, this is a good news to all because the Christ has come. He's not looking for those who are well, but he's looking for those who are sick. And here he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Who is truly a lost man? A woman who's kneeling and crying and wiping his feet? Or a man who judges others and does not recognize his own sin and need of a savior? It is something to consider. It is something to think and ponder at the depth of his mercy and his grace. Verse 30 and 47, 49, he says, Then those who are at the table with him begin to say amongst themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Christ can forgive your sins. Because even though he was righteous, much greater in his righteousness than the Pharisee, he obeyed God perfectly, not only of the law in its written form, but of its heart and its source and of its intent. He had loved the Father and obeyed Him perfectly, not as the Pharisees did, to build up upon their self-righteousness and self-glory, but He really did because He loved the Father till the end, even death on the cross. And through His death and obedience, that He was given the right to forgive sins. Even the sin of a sinner, such as this woman, such as this sinner, such as every single one of you here, that he is now able to forgive. And Christ says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The peace here is not peace in the sense of now I can be just happy and live my life. No, it is the peace between God reconciled and be able to call him Father. Brothers and sisters, do you marvel at this grace of Jesus Christ? Do you marvel that whenever I read this, there's something about this man, Christ, that he does something that I never even thought of anyone could do, and he does it 
so perfectly and so powerfully. And that's exactly what he's doing for you. Just one more thing to say. This personal thing. This is not a preaching thing, I think. And this is to the church, really. I hope that your church is filled with sinners. I hope your church is filled with drug addicts and prostitutes. I hope your church brings wicked people to your, amongst your congregation. And that you would love them well, not as Pharisee did, but as Christ did. I hope your church will be a church that will reach out to the broken and those who need healing. I'm not talking about in the sense of social justice, no. What I'm talking about is just love well. Love the wicked. Because I'm wicked. Because, sorry to say, because you are wicked. And we have a great Savior for all those who need this great salvation. Let us pray.